0: Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we share our weekly messages, and from time to time, you'll see some other things as well. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can contact us, visit bcwc.org. Thank you, everyone, who has led us so beautifully this morning. Thank you, Billy, for giving us a different way of looking at the book of Esther. What a gift. I'm glad I didn't wear my green pants today. Goodness. (laughs) Esther is this satire about power and people who think they are in charge when really they aren't. It is the story of the people of God. There after exile, a group of them living in Persia, where Esther, an orphan, is kidnapped by the king and then rises to prominence. As the queen. And in the book of Esther, as we learned last week, God is never named in this book, a curious book. It has us asking, Where is God? Esther and her people likely felt forgotten. They've been blown around by the shifting whims, and of this foolish king, they have seen how easily the king who seems to have all the power is manipulated. It is a king who we saw last week was enraged that his queen refused to let herself be paraded around, so he dismissed her, and that's how Esther came to the position that she's in. We have seen that even though God is not mentioned in this book, God's fingerprints are everywhere, just like God's fingerprints are all around us. And even in the mess, God is with us. And before we dive into Esther chapter 3 today, I wanted to let you know that that in a few weeks, we'll be seeing a recorded conversation with Rabbi Elise Seidner-Joseph, a local rabbi in our community. And she's going to share with us a little bit about Esther and about the festival of Purim that Esther describes. And so if you have questions, For the rabbi, please send them to me. My email should be on the screen right there. PastorEvan at bcwc.org. It's in the bulletin as well. So if you've got a burning question about Esther or something else for our our guest, please send it in. This is Esther, chapter 3, starting in verse 1 through 6. After these things... King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set him in his seat above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and did obeisance to him, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai, that's Esther's uncle, did not bow down or do obeisance, and then the king's servants who were there at the king's gates, said to Mordecai, Why do you disobey the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, he would not listen to them. So they told Haman, in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or do obstinance to him, Haman was infuriated. But he thought it was beneath him to kill only Mordecai. So, having been told who Mordecai's people were, Haman plotted to destroy all the Jews. The people of Mordecai throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. Right before this episode, something happened. That's why Esther 3 begins with, after these things. After what things? It's always a good question to ask. We had learned just before this in Esther 2 that Mordecai had learned of a plot against the king's very life, and Mordecai shared it with Esther the queen so she could warn the king. She did, and the king is saved. The text tells us that the king records Mordecai's actions in the official record. So we might expect that it would be Mordecai who would receive some kind of promotion, uplifting, but instead... We're introduced to Haman, this new character, an Agagite, was given vast power. Agagites are historic enemies of the people of Israel in the Scripture, and so the text should make us feel the tension as soon as we see this name, as Taylor Swift would tell us, now we have bad blood, Mordecai. Perhaps because he felt snubbed, perhaps because he disliked Haman, maybe because he was trying to use some kind of religious excuse. He refuses to bow down to this person who's been put ahead of him, and that enrages Haman. Like Queen Vashti, who we met in chapter 1, enraged the king because she would not come to him when beckoned, Haman overreacts and decides he will destroy all of the people of Jewish descent in the kingdom. He goes to the king and the king goes along with it because that's what this king does in this story. Haman says all must be killed. When it rains it pours, right? <laughs> You've seen it in your life, disasters coming seemingly out of nowhere. Haman comes out of nowhere. And suddenly, the very existence of the Jewish people in Persia are under threat, just because the wrong person came into too much power and got angry by a slight. We may ask again, where is God in this? Perhaps in your own life, you've seen shifts in circumstances so violent, you thought you might get whiplash. From a new boss, a new relationship, a new normal, from illness or tragedy or failure or disappointment, we know that risk and mess can emerge at any moment. So let's see what happens in Esther chapter 4, starting in verse 5. Then Esther. The queen called for Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs, who'd been appointed to attend her, and she ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what was happening and why. Hathach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him. and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised, to pay into the king's treasury for the destruction of the Jews. That's right, Haman had offered a lot of money if the king might go along with this plan. Verse 8, Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa, the city, for their destruction so that he might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and charge her to go to the king and make supplication to him and to entreat him for her people. Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. And Esther spoke to Hathach and gave him a message to Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone, may that person live. And I myself have not been called to come into the king for 30 days. Esther, hearing about Mordecai's grief, reaches out and discovers this plan. He tells her the news and asks her to talk to the king about it. And here we see that it would be at the very risk of her life just to approach this fickle king. He has been angry before. It has perhaps been about five years After their marriage and Esther perhaps has lost some of her favor we see she hasn't even seen the king in 30 days what can I do she must be thinking have you been there who am I what am I supposed to do how could I make an impact Esther is simply being honest about the new reality around her a death sentence had been issued for her people She seems to have little ability to do anything about it. Reality has changed. There is a threat to her people. Reality has changed. She no longer seems to have favor with the king. How has reality changed in our lives? In your lives? For you? I believe Esther shows us that there is power in naming new realities. She's honest about what's going on. We can't move forward until we are honest about reality. I find this to be a helpful question to ask regularly. What's different? (laughs) What's changed? Plans don't work out. Circumstances change. Disappointment comes. People may come from out of nowhere and throw a wrench into everything. Things break down. Air conditioners don't turn on. (laughs) And when change happens, it's painful. It's hard. I'm friends with a hospice chaplain and a grief counselor. And one of the best things I've ever learned came from this friend. He, he taught me that, that at all changes, any time there's change, big or small, we experience grief in our lives, even at good change. See, We grieve when our plans are interrupted and upended. We grieve when our expectations change. We have to be honest when things change. It's the only way to deal with it. We and Esther have to realize that life is full of adaptation and change. So what's different in your life? For me, as a pastor and a church leader, I like to ask this question all the time. I like to ask it about church and the reality of how the world is in the last 10 years, especially in the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, we have seen rapid changes in religious life in America. Now, for the first time, a majority of Americans are not members of a religious body. That's never happened before. A recent article in Politico referenced nearby Bucks County. It's Pennsylvania's fourth most populous county, and there, the share of people aligned with a religious congregation in the last 10 years dropped by nearly 18 percentage points. Just 10 years. Things have changed in the world. Things have changed for us. Things have changed in your life. We must name these changes. and We must adapt to them. Esther 4, 12 through 14. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. This is part of the key text of the whole book of Esther, and it's a turning point for the character of Esther. Mordecai trusts that the Jewish people will survive. Mordecai trusts that God will keep God's promises and use God's people to be a light for the world somehow. But Mordecai warns that there could be massive consequences up close and nearby, and this is an opportunity for Esther to be part of the story, to be part of deliverance. Mordecai says, who knows? What a question for us to ask. What if? Perhaps God might use us in this moment in place and time. Perhaps God might use you, Esther. Perhaps after your terrible circumstances, your kidnapping, perhaps God will make a way for you to have influence even in a challenging circumstance. Perhaps God could use you to save lives. Who knows? Perhaps we were made for this moment. We've had moments where we have an opportunity to do something, say something, be something, to stand up for the kid in the green pants. You have to decide in that moment, right? Will I do something? Will I say something? Or will I be quiet? You feel it. Your heart rate creeps up. Your breath gets faster. You're faced with a choice that might cost you, but could also be worth it. Who knows? If you'll remember in the story, the king has never done anything for himself. <laughs> He's pushed around and manipulated by everybody else around him. Esther, an orphan in an exile, is captured. She's taken. Her livelihood's dependent on this king and how he feels about her at any moment, but things are about to change. Look at Esther 4, 15-17. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do, and after that I will go to the king. Though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. <laughs> Have you ever had anybody tell you what to do and you said, yes, (laughs) (laughs) ma'am? Esther was named a queen five years before because a king was charmed by her beauty and her temperament. But she becomes a queen in this moment. In her actions. Unlike the weak king that she serves, she gives clear orders in this moment. Go. Gather, fast, and pray. I will risk everything for this. She becomes a queen, not because of her title or position, but because she is growing into the person God has made her to be in the moment God has placed her. So Mordecai went away. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Esther becomes the most powerful person in the whole story, not just because of her position, not because of her beauty or income or the servants that are attached. No, but because of her courage, because of her commitment to doing the right thing, even if it's the hard thing, she names the reality, adapts to it, and moves. Pastor and religious data guru, Ryan Berg, took stock of the new reality around his American Baptist church in Illinois. Someone had asked him if anybody would miss his church if it just disappeared. I love that question. You may have heard me ask that question of you about this church, and and often the answer that I would hear a great answer would be about the deep and important work we do in feeding ministry in our community. But, But Pastor Ryan was unsure how to answer that question for his church, so the congregation started a brown bag meal ministry to provide free meals to public school children who need them. Like BCWC, his church found deep and important ministry in the responsive act of serving hungry people. They adapted to the reality around them. And Pastor Ryan says, so now I know if our church closes down, there are going to be 225 kids in public schools every single week who are not going to be fed. And that means we matter. We are building the kingdom of God in our community by feeding hungry kids All you can try to do is make your community a better place. If your church becomes twice as large in a year, that's great. If it becomes half as large, that's fine too. It's not your job to grow. It's your job to be faithful to the mission of your church. So run that race as long as you can, as best as you can, and let God figure everything else out. So Esther chooses to be faithful to the mission of God to do what is right and let the unseen hand of God handle everything else. See, despite mess or risk, doing right is never wrong. Esther says this incredible thing. If I perish, I perish. As so I was reflecting on this with Pastor Zach, I'll quote him directly he said this is not a you only live once or YOLO type of line it is not a moment of carelessness but it is a recognition of the stakes her purpose and the cost it is a commitment to do the right thing if I perish I perish when I was in Texas I was asked to serve on the board of a religious news organization it's very exciting stuff I know Uh, We did really good work, though, including some exclusive reporting on some persecution that was happening to Christians in Myanmar that drew enough attention that there became some international pressure for change in that community. It was beautiful. But remember, this is a religious newspaper. (laughs) And if you know anything about the newspaper business these days, you know that it is not easy People aren't very interested in newspapers. Newspapers are dying. And if you think that's difficult, think about a religious newspaper, right? So when I came on to the board, I remember all these discussions about future and surviving, about print and digital versions, about subscriptions, and trying to hold on to the readers that they still had. But the numbers showed what was already happening. The organization was in a deep decline, a slow death. And the new editor-in-chief gave this speech to all of us on the board about a commitment to connecting to new readers in new ways of innovation, of engagement, of literally driving town to town to build relationships, to meet with people, to listen, to embrace new bottles, new relationships, new technology, to get out the phenomenal work that they were already doing. And I remember he said we can slowly die or, or we can fight for the future. We can fight to get our good work in front of new eyes. We may fail and it may all blow up, he said, but who knows? (laughs) I don't want to draw a paycheck until the funds run out. What if we really believed in the work we were creating, the stories we were telling? What if we believed they mattered? The whole board was like, woo, you're right. It's scary to enter into a new reality. There are risks. Risks will emerge more still. But we're already in a new reality. What do we do? The right thing. Always the right thing. We could fail, but what if? What if God placed the Baptist Church of Westchester after navigating pandemic and pastoral transition in a changing city around us for such a time as this? placed you, placed you in your neighborhood, your work, your family, your cultural moment for such a time as this? We may ask that question all the time. Yeah, but what if, what if we perish? What if we fail? What if it doesn't work? What if it does? What if God is really with us? What if even in failure, God has much to teach us? What if the church stood up. the church stood up against those who would tarnish the name of Christ and said no more <laughs> no more to fear and fracture no more to nationalism and xenophobia and racism and homophobia and violence and greed and cruelty and poverty of people pushing other people out of trying to make people small of wanting to eradicate people of telling people with green pants to stand in the corner what if we said no more? What if we did something? I don't know what that might look like exactly for us or for you. It was different for Queen Dashti in chapter 1. It's different for Esther in chapter 3 and 4. But what's the same is it's a commitment to do the right thing, no matter what. A commitment to follow the God of hope and love and justice, no matter where that God takes us. It's a commitment to our Lord. The way of Jesus. At the American Baptist denominational biennial gathering in San Juan, Puerto Rico a few weeks ago, this verse about such a time of this was the theme of the event. I did not realize that, that I would be listening to several sermons about Esther just weeks before I'd be preaching about it. We planned this series back in January. Sometimes that's just how God's unseen hand works. But at the end of that gathering, a Puerto Rican pastor stood up and she gave us this beautiful charge. It had been an incredible conference with phenomenal worship. And she acknowledged that we may not all want to go home, right? I mean, I love it here, but I mean, it's Puerto Rico, right? She reminded us of Peter. That day when Jesus went up to the mountain of transfiguration, there was glory around. Moses and Elijah were there. Peter didn't want to go. (laughs) He said, I could could set up camp here. I've got some tents. We could just move in. We can be tempted to not move forward, to stay in these walls, to stick with what we know and who we've known forever, to hold on. Esther could have just hidden in the palace, hope she made it out okay. Peter wanted to set up shop and live in that glorious, safe moment, Forever, as the song we sang said, I could be safe, I could stay here, but you've called me higher and deeper. Peter didn't stay because there was work to do. Jesus didn't stay on that mountain, which I would have wanted to if I were him. No, he descends down into the valley and then to the city where he will die at the hands of Roman soldiers, a reflection of his choice to step down from heaven, enter into our world and love us so much that it killed him, but nothing, not even death, would stop him from getting to you. Jesus stepped down from that mountain because there was work to do. Peter came down from that mountain because there was work to do. Esther risks her life in front of the king because there is work to do. And as the Puerto Rican pastor told us that night, her voice breaking in the charge, there are people that cannot wait. People are praying for answers and you are the answer to that prayer. And as the Spirit of God used that word to challenge me, I imagine the Spirit of God nudging Esther in that very moment with that same thought. There are people that cannot wait. People praying for answers, and you are the answer to that prayer. And I hear that message in the heart of Christ, choosing to come to earth and rescue us from sin, corruption, hate. Hear it. As he prayed in the garden before he would go to the cross, there are people that cannot wait. There are people praying for answers and you are the answers to their prayer. Thanks be to God that Esther, that Jesus said, yes, will we? Because there are people that cannot wait. People who are praying for answers and you are the answer to their prayer. This series we're practicing together, this exercise of the prayer of examen, where we look inward and reflect. We look for God in our own lives and in the world. Before Esther went to the king, she declared a fast in a time of prayer. She understood the power of looking inward, of praying, of praying together. If we go without the prayer, we're not going anywhere. (laughs) And so together as we close, I want us to walk through that prayer Again, we'll take some time and pray it as our singers come forward and we'll close with a hymn. Will you pray with me the prayer of Examen? Step one, if you'll think back and think of how God has blessed you in the last 24 hours, silently name some of those blessings. Look back on the last 24 hours with openness and gratitude. Look for times when God was present and times you may have ignored God. Take a moment and reflect. Pay attention to your emotions. What did you feel in the last 24 hours? Why? What message might God have for you in the midst of your feelings? As you reflect, express sorrow for sin and ask for God's forgiving love it is yours and finally may we pray for the grace to be more available to the god who loves us god thank you that you have placed us in this time in this place in these circumstances that You have called us to this moment, these relationships, these situations. There is difficulty, and there is challenge, and there is fear. God, may You use us. But first, may we be aware to Your presence among us. And may the power of Your Spirit strengthen us, equip us, open our eyes to see and our actions to respond. May we follow the way of Christ. May we seek first the kingdom of God. And as these things are added, may we go and be your church. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or are looking for ways that you can support God's work at this church, visit bcwc.org. And as you go, through whatever your day may throw at you, I want to share this blessing with you. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness, protect you in the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go and be the church.